Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style exams. Your host is Ryan Orwig, a learning specialist with more than a decade of experience working with med students and physicians. In part two of this mini-series, Ryan sits down with recent alumni from the StatMed Study Skills class to debrief from the class and discuss the skills they learned to transform their study habits. So helpful. And it's something that I would argue most of us here would probably agree. It's something we wouldn't have come to on our own, or it's something that a YouTube video wouldn't have been able to effectively teach us. You really have to go through the process, be guided through that that process, that regimented approach to understand its value. And then once you have it, I don't know that it will ever leave me. I think Uh, yeah, and absolutely. So let's so let's pivot this, and we can have some crosstalk. You guys can chime in on like a thing. So I'm going to come through and sort of ask you guys. Uh, this is a little different than we have in the outline. Let's go with like one of the big. Let's talk about like some individual skills we learned. I think if somebody's listening to this, they're like, these guys are talking about methodology. They're talking about skills. Like what? Are, what? What do we mean? Like nobody knows what we're talking about, right? You guys didn't know coming in. Like what are these skills you're talking about? I'm sure. Like, and I'd be curious to know what you were thinking then versus now on some of this. But anyway, so Aaron, give me one of the big, what's one of the biggest skills that you think are going to make a difference? These met this methodology we keep alluding to. Let's talk about an individual. What's a big, what's a big changer for you? Right. The biggest game changer for me is definitely going to be mapping and uh, memory oh, palaces God. before uh, taking your program. I was uh, quite anti, you know, doing all these cartoons and animations because I always had the mindset, you know, when you're in school, like, you know, you're not going to be looking at cartoons and, you know, creating all these stories and animations like it sounds so silly and ridiculous. But then okay, after taking. Oh, okay, wait, 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 right. Okay, so maps and memory palaces, these are what I would call like, like augmented skills, outside the boundary skills, okay? Not everybody's going to use these. Like Anne's like, I'm never going to use that. We tried it. That's totally cool. It's 100% fine. We don't know who, but but RN coming into the class, if he would have predicted that is, is he going to like this skill, yes or no, if he like previewed it, he would have been like on a scale of one to 10 likelihood of even entertaining it, it probably would have been like a one for you, RN, right? You're saying yes. He's like, yep, yep, no way. No way am I drawing pictures or doing crazy memory palaces. Um, But now, why why are you so enthused? Is it like, what, what, what flipped the switch to make you be like, I'm all in on this? Um, because after going through the homework sets you've been giving us and, you know, really taking a dive into these maps and memory palaces, I personally have seen my brain change and be able to store and retrieve information much more quicker and easier than I ever have in my entire academic career. And and that's I think that's the biggest game changer, seeing that I have way more potential than what I, I think I do. And and that's what makes it most exciting about, you know, using this as, as one of the tools. Right. And that can be a, it can be a core method for some. It can be a supplemental method, method forever. Some people might just use it as a 5% boost. Think about what a 5% boost means on, on a given block exam or your shelf exam or your board. It'll be huge or, or, for sure. Or it can be, or it can be more, right? It can be, I, I have people that, that make a tremendous profit from that. Who else can speak to their thoughts on memory palaces and maps uh, as far as, as a test? What do you have on this? What can you say to this? I mean, I believe it was yesterday in class, um, we were practicing um, 
a set list of memory palace and yeah. it was this long list of different bacteria and causes to pneumonia. And yeah. I was like, I would sit down and self-test myself over it using the memory palace. And after I was done, I would look at the list. I was like, wow, I could never imagine doing that before. Like I just produced right. this big long list of information and I was just so amazed, honestly. And I can still pull and, it up in my head right now. Right. It has that staying power. And, and then, you know, the, the people, I have people do it and they say, I haven't studied it yet. The making of it is the studying, right? People think they need to read over something or look over it. It's a waste of time. So it's the making and then the self-testing, the visualizing, tapping into that visual memory, very powerful stuff. Who else can speak to anything on maps or memory palaces? Do we have any thoughts on this? Just put your hand up if you want to go. Okay, uh, Veronique. I think um, I didn't. I didn't have an affinity for the maps initially. Um, sure. But yeah. it was the. Yeah, it was a skill that I'm that I'm still learning. Um, but the memory palaces, just the ability to use um, my creativity, uh, my mental yeah. creativity, in order to study and learn this information um is really exciting um, it's kind of mind-blowing right it's, it's mind-blowing yeah. that you can use this whole other part of your brain and your personality and your knowledge base to encode vast amounts of information in a systematic manner is kind of like oh my it's 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 a mind expanding uh notion and you guys have the tools now to make the mechanics to do it and you've seen it right yeah absolutely um you know, once you self-test a couple of times, uh, that's your feedback that's showing you that the the outcome. Um, yeah. So we use retrieval practice. We we're called or self-test to that's part of the learning circuit within a given memory palace. But that also gives you the feedback that reinforces the learning, shows you what's working and what's not. It's all it's a self-feeding mechanism. And that's how we can do the class in a relatively short period of time and expect growth to continue. You guys know this now. You've heard me talk about this for 40 hours at this point. Um, and you guys and you can see it. It's like the proof is in the output. You guys can be like, oh, my gosh. Like I've had people do maps or memory palaces and hate it, hate the notion of it. And then they they have to then they see what the outcome is on the self-test self-check, though. And they're like, oh, no, it works. <laughs> and then they have to deal with yeah. it. Um, this is a good, for good, good, good problems to have. Right. Um, yeah. Good. Uh, what else you have on that? Anything else? I, I was just going to say that it's it's unlocking this aspect of myself, this creativity aspect of myself that I feel has been really dormant since I started medical school and yeah. perhaps is making me feel, you know, the way I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Leading to a little a bit of burnout and just uh, feeling like I'm not myself and that I have to close off to certain parts of myself. Uh, to study mm -hmm. this, but this is showing me that no, I can use I can use all these different aspects and and still be successful. Excellent, thank you, David. And and as you're as you're transitioning now, look what Veronica's saying is so she has these dormant parts of her creativity that have been shut off, and this this is a way to access it. That's great. But RN would probably say that's not the like he he wasn't itching for that creative outlet. He just found a way that. It, it worked. So in other words, like some people identify as creatives who are excited to then use the creative parts of their brain. Others are not creative. And they would they would come in saying, no, like I'm a, I'm a pretty much like nuts and bolts science based person. I don't have that creative itch. And they still find profound benefit in it 
because of the different modalities to which this sort of this thing sort of unlocks. Dave, what can you say about maps and memory palaces? You know, it's funny that you were just talking about people that don't consider themselves creatives, because I would say that I wouldn't consider myself a creative at all, especially in terms of like drawing and art. Um, I don't know. I just I have no innate talent for that. So taking, you know, maps specifically and using those for the first time was really eye opening because all I did was trace a bunch of pictures and kind of put them together into a into a single document. But the randomness yeah. of everything really helped to solidify whatever we were going over. So I don't know. It was it was really helpful for me and something that I never thought I would use. Um, yeah, similar for no, memory great. palaces. I mean, yeah, the the amount of random nerd books that I've read uh, yeah. and shows that I've watched over time yeah. can be really helpful for all that stuff. And you know, now I get a use out of them, um, which is unexpected and cool. Absolutely, yeah. The idea that I can take you could take stuff from like TV shows or or, or fantasy books or movie series you've watched and use that to encode vast amounts of pharmacology or biochemistry or disease states. Like you can't swap it out, but you can piggyback that on to that schema, and it's pretty fascinating. Without it being like I'm some career, you're not trying to sell the show to Disney or Netflix. It is like a it is a truly utilitarian tool. And again, we are very good at teaching this. All that said. This is just the bonus skills. I don't care if anybody, nobody even has to use this stuff. And so it's, you know, that's where we start off. Who can talk about one of the more fundamental skills that maybe they got from the class? So Elise, what can you say about that? I think for me, the frameworking and the dynamic reading and marking are going to be the most profitable. And it's funny because I think something that some students who would approach this class may think, and I certainly think this about myself, I'm organized in all other facets of life. Why does it fall apart in the classroom? Or I think I know how to read material. Why am I not able to read and interpret what the professor is putting out in the way that I need to to be successful? And these tools are foundational for me. They're, I have said to you several times, (laughs) revolutionary is a word I've used because it gives a very specific very regimented approach to the material. And you can't really, in a very good way, you can't really waver from that. You have to follow that approach. And what you end up with at the end of the process is a series of similar and very structured approaches to each individual lecture, which gives you that ability to self-test. It gives you that ability to practice retrieval without having to add a whole bunch of other notes, without having to add a whole bunch of other resources. And so it's funny because it's so simple. And I think for future students who consider the class as they go through this process, they'll find out, wow, this this isn't rocket science, but this is so helpful. And it's something that I would argue most of us here would probably agree it's something we wouldn't have come to on our own or it's something that a YouTube video wouldn't have been able to effectively teach us. You really have to go through the process, be guided through that that process, that regimented approach to understand its value. And then once you have it, I don't know that it will ever leave me. I think I'll be using this tool for every scientific journal that I edit in the future for for every approach that I have throughout residency and as an attending. Yep. And that's, that's a pretty powerful thing to be able to say. 
Oh, yeah. And and I do. I, I do intend this to be a life changing event for people. And that sounds a little like maybe it's it's grandiose. But I mean, it is that that is the plan. And that seems to be the case. Like So you mentioned like so frameworking is that that key skill of finding the structure that's hidden. This is what the top down learner needs. The top down learners primary patch has to be about find, seeking and finding uh, framework. OK, so she'll be back. So seeking and finding framework. OK. Find the structure, find the framework, and again, extract it physically, externally, uh, drawn out. Then the dynamic reading and marking is a, is, a, is a sort of set of goals for as we read. I'm a reading and learning specialist. Everybody I, I work with obviously is highly literate. But all of these skills, if you think about it, they're all dealing with how we deal with textual constructs, like, like how we approach how we approach uh, a PowerPoint, a 50, 70, 80, 80, 80 slide PowerPoint deck? How do we approach a dense review book? How do we read a test question, a, a USMLE, a, a Comlux level test question? Like all of it is reading and it all, and, and what Elise also said alludes to the fact everything in med school and medical learning starts with organization, ownership of organization, seeking and finding organization. Those bottom-up learners don't have to. The bottom-up learners can pound Anki decks. They can sit in lecture and just shovel a bunch of details down their throat. They can just start learning from practice questions. But that's not good enough for us. And this is part of our problem culturally is we're teaching, treating all med students and people in these med medical fields the same. Oh, you're smart. You got into our school. They're not looking at it as like as like who's a top-down learner or a bottom-up learner, who's a strong structure builder, these ones that thrive from details, or a weak structure builder, the ones like me, like you guys, who need to find that explicit structure. So to me, the biggest game changer for everybody has got to be frameworks. Frameworks where it starts dynamic reading and marking in a way that at least one of the four cogs has to be connecting to back to the superstructure framework and then and then all roads leading to retrieval practice i mean again like that's the plan like it's not like i can say that in, in five minutes and, and and at least as you said like you could find most of the stuff on the podcast or on videos but i mean the class is the class for a reason right it's the practice, it's the connectivity, it's the feedback, it's the all the homework stuff that I've curated to put you guys through your paces. Part of it is that deductive me, blah, 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 telling you all the rules, illustrating it step by step. But then there's that inductive piece where I'm having you guys wrestle with the with the examples and then get the feedback. I mean, that's that's part of the, the recipe, right? Absolutely. And I think that the value of doing this in a structured environment is having that opportunity to practice and receive feedback. And then also, yep. and I think most of us would, would argue this has been invaluable is the ability to round table about the skills, yeah. the ability to share insights and to be able to relate to other students who you probably, and I would think for most of us, you're not having these types of conversations on campus. These aren't the types no. of conversations that students are openly discussing over lunch after a tedious <laughs> or difficult lecture. These are the conversations that happen in hidden spaces and really result in the need for repeated semesters and the need for a reset. And so the power, too, of this, the value for me has just been having that opportunity to learn from others. And we just went just about an hour ago, we went through a 
technology workshop and we had a couple of people yeah. in our class who shared skills. And those are the types of things that if you don't have the skill, you might spend hours of your life trying to obtain it, or you can tap into a network and work together and be able to scare, to share and, and skill build together. And so that's, yeah. to me, that's the value of this class. It's not only learning these things and, and doing so not in a vacuum, not in a silo, but in having that opportunity to really learn and grow together. Absolutely. So, so our test taking workshop is our other big platform, and that's where we we re-engineer the test taking for the board's test taker who says I'm a bad test taker. That needs to be one on one. That does not really benefit from the group. But the learning class absolutely learns from the group. I had somebody ask me; it could have been one of you guys. Somebody in one of the classes coming up the summer. They were like, "I want other people in the class to be the same as me. I want them to be like MD students repeating second year." I was like, "No, you don't." Yeah. She was like, I think I do. I was like, no, you don't. You don't want that. So I was like, what you want? I was like, forgive me. Let me, let me just clarify. Like, you don't want that. What you want are like-minded people. It doesn't matter if you're a PA student, a veterinarian student, uh, a first year uh, rising to second year, first year repeater, second year repeater, step three, international medical grad. I've had like a neurologist do the class who'd failed his years, his neuro exams five years in a row. Doesn't matter. Everybody's on the same page because we're all struggling and frustrated with the stuff. And it's, it's usually, like I said, like a handful of profiles and it all fits. And then we have this amazing experience and then we flip the class over. So we've got more on-demand videos and that lets us have more of those roundtable discussions that we had. I felt like I knew you guys better after the first day of class than I often do a class after the third or fourth day. Uh, because we had we, the way that I flipped it allowed us to talk so much more. It was absolutely invigorating for me because I knew you guys were getting to know me and I was getting to know you and you guys were getting to know each other so much better. And that is very powerful. That's what's called hidden curriculum. It's not like the explicit curriculum, like on the list, but it is absolutely one of the intended benefits. And it, it does my heart well to know that, that you guys, I mean, cause we haven't talked about that necessarily. So like, that's like so exciting for me because I want that for you guys. What else can you say? Well, unlike medical school and only Tess can, can attest to this in this group, but I'm um, probably unlike PA school in which the classroom years, the curricular years are so divorced from the reality of the practice of medicine. They're on two separate planets. I think yep. the, the beauty of this class is that we are working together in much the same fashion that we will be working together in the future. And having that, that idea of a group of future physicians, future PAs, I can't speak for the veterinary sciences. We won't be treating the, the dogs and the cats. But just that ability to connect and relate is very reminiscent and, and it's such a great future picture of how we'll be working together in the clinical space. And there's a lot of value in that too, because there is a need for vulnerability. There is a need for honesty. And there, there need to be more people who say, I don't know, instead of pretending that they have all of the answers. And oh. this is a great first step in having students like us who say, hey, I, I, maybe I fumbled. Maybe I didn't do so well. Maybe I need to go back to the fundamentals and some of the rudimentary basics. But once you obtain those, my, my guess is that you will be a far better physician than those who say, oh, I'm good at everything. I've gotten through oh. everything quickly. I know the answers. 
because we will hopefully be able to better work together and to better understand our patients who come in with feelings of failure about their own personal health. And that's it. That you can't buy. That's something that you have to just experience. And that's part of this process for me. Good. Very good. What else, who else has another skill? So we've talked about maps and memory palaces, talked about frameworking and dynamic reading and marking a little bit. What's another skill that we learned? Uh, RN, you've got one. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest game changers for me in the core methods was uh, retrieval practice. Um, so my original method of um, studying was just um, going through the slides and reading them passively over and over again. And um, falling into the trap of illusionary productivity that by seeing the material, you know, again and again, I will be good for the exam. But it turned out that that is not the case. Um, but making <laughs> my <laughs> not at all, not, not the case. Uh, um, that's putting it mildly, right? Mildly, uh, very mildly. Um, but transitioning into this active form of studying, of forcing my brain to recall the information um, is where the biggest jumps in, in my success happened. And, uh, being able to go through that change, um, has definitely, um, helped me improve overall as a student. Well, let me say this too. So Anki is like the big, one of the big tools out there. And so Anki, I've watched how this is like taken over the, 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 the talk about medical education space. Like it's like the number one recommended thing in med school, maybe number one, number two, number three, I don't know. It's taking up all the thing. Anki is great in that it's retrieval practice. It's distributed. It's interleaved. It's got an algorithm. It's a software, blah, 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 blah. If it works for you, wonderful. Anki is going to be very effective with those bottom-up learners. You guys know this. So there's people that can learn from the details. Can you guys talk about how Anki is not good for you and why? Uh, David. Yeah, I mean – one of the weird things about Anki is that it will give you all of these different, um, you know, things that you're trying to retrieve over time. So you've maybe made your own deck or you're using something like the Anking deck, something large, something that'll give you hopefully the breadth of information that you are supposed to need for any given test based on like boards or based on what you've made. But the weird thing about it is that it isn't going to give you enough. It might not give you enough context to kind of form the interconnective, um, you know, understanding of the material that you might need in a in a test question to be able to say, okay, here we go. Um, so it's 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 well, in other words, it's it's the framework. It's missing mm-hmm. the framework. The Anki is going through with all the details but it's not building the framework. I think that's what we've discussed in the class. I think that's what you're saying though, right? And so we have yeah, to patch that on the other side. Go ahead. Exactly. You, I think you made a uh, really good analogy for this. It's like if you're building a city, but you stop building any roads in between different places, like you might have your city, but you're not going to be able to get from point A to point B um, effectively. So, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen, I've run into some people at the board's prep level and they got through the first two years and they're prepping for step one and they've onkied themselves all the way through. And, and, and like they didn't unbeknownst to them, they're top down learners. So they have all these buildings of information, but no interconnectivity, which does not allow for any application or clinical application or even access 
from different points of view. So it's like, oh man, like I'm worried that that's like, I'm worried that that is a coming uh, catastrophe for a subset of the medical student population because they are actually top-down learners. Yes, RN. Right. So uh, just going off of that, um, I think the way to find the silver lining is to make sure to framework first if you want to use Anki. That personally yeah. has been helping me a lot because when I first started using Anki and because I identify as a top-down learner, it was just all pieces of random information going in my head. But once I went through the statement program and started frameworking all the context and the material then going to Anki and see if it would work for me, it has been much better for me because I can be able to put all those pieces that I'm learning in retrieval practice um, and have it all organized um, in, in my head together. I, it may not work for everyone, but for me, I think having the framework first um, definitely augmented my my uh, usage with Anki. And, and um, going back to uh, what Mr. Orig said, was I don't think Anki should be like the end-all, be-all solution to um, studying. It's a tool, but it's one of the tools. So when I use it, I use it for a limited uh, amount of time, but I don't use it for the whole day like some of the other students do. Well, and like, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there with it. For some people, if it's the end-all, be-all and it works and they're happy with it, more power to them, right? We let, let that go. It's more about the, it's more about you guys, our top-down learners. And so it, it, like what one person like RN might say is it's a matter of when we bring it in and what context and what role. Perfect. Somebody else might say, I don't even need it because the framework and, we, and the dynamic reading and marking leads to retrieval practice off the framework. Both are right. It's all about, when, and you guys know this, when it comes to the class, it's all about the why and the because. You just tell me why like you guys are now equipped. You guys are super smart, motivated people. Like it's about you're telling like I'll ask you, why are you doing this? You're like, well, this is why. Da, 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 da. Let me tell you, I'm doing this because of this. It's fantastic. It's so exciting as an instructor to be able to just let you guys roll with it because you guys did all the heavy work. That was a lot of work. That's like a semester's work of work in like 10 days. It's a lot. It's not too much. Air quotes, not too much. It's a lot. But um, it, you, it, it's worth it. It's, it's what we wanted to get from this. So it, I think you can come at it from different directions with it. But I just think that the, we, we want to be careful listening to what everybody else tells us and then feeling bad when it doesn't work for us, when in fact, we just might not be wired or predisposed to it. So retrieval practice, anybody else have any thoughts on just retrieval back? Let's get back to just the power of retrieval practice. This is one of those things in the, in the literature, the learning literature we know is the biggest moneymaker. We want to get away from, you know, I, I use the word review as like a bad word. Like review to me means like I'm looking over stuff. I'm rereading. I, I'm entrenching familiarity. Tell, can anybody comment on how well familiarity treats them on test day? If you're like robustly familiar, familiar David, what can you say about robust familiarity on test day? Robust familiarity is why I did not pass my classes that I didn't pass. <laughs> um, it just doesn't help. You know, no. like, uh, no. yeah, just flat out. You can yeah. look at something a whole lot. And maybe, maybe you're just one of those people that can remember things unusually well. That's awesome. Do that um, yeah, to whatever too. extent it works for you. But yep. for me, it was an absolute shotgun to the chest. It just doesn't work. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Painful. Anybody else have any other scathing indictments on on, on, on familiarity? And again, it's great, though, because the salute every time like I feel like if I and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. 
if I'm going to complain about something in the learning sphere of medical education and board prep, I think we have a solution for it. And I, it's because I've, I've collected them over the last 15, 20 years and aggregated them and built the tools to offset them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, familiarity, we got to watch out for. It. And you guys have the tools to do it now with our core methods and then the methods along the outside. What about some of our, our time management? Because I think time management sounds so lame. Uh, like, like we're going to learn some time management skills, gang. But it's so important. And you guys are excited about time management. I know you are. Um, what are some of the specific skills within under our time management umbrella that might be uh, exciting? Tess, what can you tell me about it? So one skill that I really love and I'll probably use like the rest of my career and everything when I get to boards and prepping for that is the academic study agenda. Um, yeah. Ryan, do you want to summarize that? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. A A ASA, as we like to call it, we have our own internal vocabulary. And our, and our sidebar, I hope, I hope you guys are so excited about all the different names and tools we have. Like, I, I love hearing you guys use the vocabulary, either like the learning vocabulary we talk about or more, more specifically the study skills we talk about and the management skills and the test taking skills. I love hearing people come back to me with this made up vocabulary. Um, you cannot be an expert in your learning, learning theory or executing our learning in the run of play in med school and PA school, board prep, what have you. If you don't know the names of the tools and the rationales that go under them. So academic study agenda, ASA, that is what I would consider a micromanaging tool, a way to micromanage yourself. It is a rolling fluid to do list that is only filled with study based items that you guys are learning how to generate, breaking large tasks into smaller tasks, crossing items off and then most powerfully leaving stuff behind left behind because there's not enough time in the day. You're never going to get enough stuff done. I know this is a very important thing that we're all working with or wrestling with. So what's so exciting about this ASA, the academic study agenda, the micro manager for you, Tess? So for me, like you said, it, it breaks bigger tasks down into smaller ones. Um, and for me, I'm just someone who likes to have a list and cross things off. That's so sad. Wait, wait, wait. That's because you're a human being, right? Human beings love breaking things down, crossing items off lists and be like, yeah, I cross that off. I, I do it. I'll, I'll do the thing and be like, let me just write that in there, even though it's already done so I can cross it off. When I'm when I'm really using the academic study agenda in my world, now look, my world is not anywhere near as demanding as being in med school, PA school, vet school, none of that. I know that, but I am a business owner and I've got a lot of, a lot of things on my plate and sometimes I'm really, really struggling with productivity. So when I'm doing that, I do the ASA for myself. And let me tell you, and, I, and breaking the large task into smaller tasks is a skill we can grow. It's easier to do now that we have study skills that lend itself to this. But this idea of crossing things off, it's, it's, it's what? It's like motivating. What else can you say about it? Like looking back and seeing what you've done, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So in my semester of PA school, I just had a mental list going, which was mm -hmm. I found out was terrible. Um, so now when I am going to be using these, I'm going to cross it off once I'm done. And if I call it at that end of the night, I wake up the next morning and I see and can tell what I still have left to do. It's nice. Where to pick up. I mean, isn't that one of the bigger problems when we're studying is like, where did I leave off? What have I done? What haven't I done? If I skip this now, will I even remember that I should, that I didn't finish it? It's all right there. And why is it all right there? What's one of my, the things, one of the, the phrase I might've said the most, which would be an interesting contender. Um, 
making things external and explicit. One of my favorite dichotomies or the dichotomy within the dichotomy. The opposite is internal implicit bad, external explicit good, period. <laughs> That's it. Like, I really think that you, we just because we used to do things internally implicitly doesn't mean we need to continue to do it. The, the staggering volume of junk you guys have to do, we've got to make stuff external and explicit. And again, like, I, the advice isn't like, hey, gang, go make stuff external and explicit. The tools that we're teaching lend themselves to this. Can anybody else speak to the power or their relationship with this micromanager of the academic study agenda? Does anybody else have any thoughts on it? Yes, Anne. Right. Hi. Um, it's just that it just made it just made me so happy because it's not just a list because the list is endless for us. It just yeah. It gave me permission to just um, like you said, make it a rolling list where I could just um, finish a certain non-negotiable item for this hour for these fifty minutes. Take a ten minute break and then go to anything I didn't finish before that. I could then reassess again and see okay. In my studying now, do I really need everything that's on the list or can I just do away with them and just change the list and make it more meaningful to what I'm doing now? Because before it was just, oh, did I do two blocks of Euro? Did I do 1,000 questions on uh, 1,000 Anki cards? Yeah. But there yeah. was really no point to that. There was no point. Right. So this is really important. This academic so it gives you what now? Oh, but the ESA really changed how I looked at making lists in the first place. Yes. And well, and we're populating the list with study skills that, that, that it's going to allow for that. And but here's what I like. She's like non-negotiables. In other words, within the list she's generating for the hour, we're talking about the academic study agenda, like making the workflow. Generating raw ideas for workflow while studying where you get to pick and choose. She's using this term non-negotiable like this. In other words, what's the most important thing I need to work on right now? I'm going to work through this, maybe some other stuff. Then I get to the next hour after my break. And so notice she's talking about a little pivot, like a little look back. OK, do I do I need to drag any of that stuff forward? And am I going to leave some stuff behind? And then what are my priorities? She's talking about prioritization and deprioritization. Why? Because there's just so much. There's too much to always master all of it. We got to leave some stuff behind. This isn't like a, a trip into the woods with a group of kids. I mean, you go on a, on a trip and this is going to get morbid. Sorry. You don't go on a group like hey, we took 10 kids into the woods. We made it back with eight. Let's call it a win. Like that's not sorry. I don't know. I don't know where these things come from. Um, you're like, do I want to send my kids with Ryan in the woods? Yeah. I mean, I've got a good track record, but that's just a horrible metaphor. So, but, but in this situation, yes, we can leave stuff behind. They're not kids. They're just items on a to-do list and, and, and in an environment where there's too much to learn. So, and any other thoughts on that? Yeah, because before I did not give my per myself permission to just let go. Yeah, it's as if when, yeah. as it's as if if I wrote down that list, it's uh, set in stone, and I can it's I can't erase it at all. I just have to keep going through it, even if it's not useful anymore for the thing that I need to do for now. So now with this ASA, um, if I had eight hours in a day and I had only eight non-negotiables in that day, I could walk away and think at the end of the day. 
hey, I actually accomplished eight important things rather than um, 30 things that I don't know if it's useful for me or not for the next day. Yeah. I well, told you this you before. Got, you got into, yeah. Was, oh, I told you, yeah, you, you before. You, you, hold on. Into, sorry. Sorry. Wait, wait. So, yeah, you've got a list that you can look back and see what was actually done and what's crossed off. And then behind that list, the actual things you made using your study tools. And now you were saying you told me before we came in. What now? Yeah, I showed I told you about my schedule where I spent this uh, several continuous eight to 10 hour days. So sometimes six days a week, just just grinding. And then I, I, I stop at night and then the following day I wake up and think, what the hell did I do really yesterday? Did I, I know. did I even inch forward or am I in the same place I was yesterday? Ugh. Now I know where I am actually. I love and, it. And I could see, yeah, uh, otherwise um, I'd be in this in this uh, study room just marking the days like a Monte Cristo prisoner or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, so that gets to one of our mentalities, right? One of the big mentalities I'm preaching to you guys is the entrepreneur versus the office drone or a prisoner like the, the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, like log time. So maybe just side, sidebar that. Is it, does, did that. Does that speak to any of you guys? Uh, uh, so RN, like this idea of the, the, the entrepreneur versus the office drone. Again, that's more of a mindset. It's one of those dichotomies. The skills should wrap around this, but what can you say to that RN? Right. Um, I think one of the most important pieces in time management where I think everything pretty much rests on is the end of the week business meeting with yourself because it doesn't matter how great or how bad that week went if you don't take the time to reflect on what happened that week then the following week is going to be hit or miss and you want to be able to know exactly what went right and what went wrong so you can navigate and improve as the week goes on so i think i think it's so important to set a dedicated time not just like, you know, walk around and be like, okay, I think I did good, but actually sit down and have like, okay, yeah. this one hour, I looked at the ASA, the study manager, I did so many 5010 blocks. Um, and doing that um, explicitly and externally with yourself, I think is what's going to make any student improve um, over however long you're studying for. Right. Well, this is part of that ownership. Treating yourself because like, a lot of people come in like I I don't get it I study ten hours a day why am I not doing well I'm like I can't even begin to answer that because I don't know what you're talking about like this is about ownership end to end of what you're doing but it's also about behavior change it's about like getting better week by week by week everything you do if you self reflect you will grow self monitoring skills and so we wanted to go week by week by week using all the stuff that we learned to do that can anybody else speak to the entrepreneurial versus office drone mentalities. Anybody have thoughts on this one? Uh, yes, uh, uh, let's see, Elise first. I think this goes back to, for me, the ideal versus real scheduling tool and really looking at how you are spending your time during the week and taking accountability for that. So you're not just showing up on a job spending eight hours doing whatever you're doing and then leaving it. You really have to take accountability for each and every hour. And as a former analyst, I love the allocation of the hours. And I loved going through this process of being able to 
look at specifically where time is going. And then at the end of the week, being able to tally those hours. So if you spent four hours in a particular category that you hadn't intended to, how does that affect your overall productivity? How is that affecting your sleep? How does it, how is it affecting the time that you should have been studying? And I think that that's something that's a, it's a really neat tool because you're not sharing this with everyone. It's not something that you need to be broadcasting, but you can be brutally honest and vulnerable with yourself and call yourself out during what, what RN was talking about with our weekly meeting, really looking at that and saying, okay, I didn't do so well in my personal study time this week, or I didn't exercise a single day. And in terms of my brain power, I could see how that affected me. And then you yeah. can make corrections for the next week. And so it's not this amorphous blob of time that you're dealing with. It's very specific. It's very structured. And it gives you the data, as you talked about throughout the class, it's this idea of having the data to fall back on and to do an analysis so that it's, you really have a specific thing you can work on. And look, we're not, none of us are perfect. And so we're not going to go from one week with a lot of feelings of missteps or things that we could have done better to being excellent the next week. And so it's really figuring out where are those areas where you can make improvements week over week, and then seeing how it affects all aspects of your life. And most importantly, I think for most of us, our our study lives, our performance on exams in this two-year period or in our board prep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then also like, you know, it's, it is feedback. It's all, and that's what I talk a lot about too, right? You're using this, this, this pivot point in the week, in the business meeting with yourself to look back, make some adjustments, get better. It's like, I don't know, getting from going out of shape to getting in shape, trying to bring in an exercise routine where if you look day by day, you're not going to see the result. But if you do this for five weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, you're going to be in a dramatically different place six weeks down the line, maintaining it. And we also talk about the opportunity of being in this class as a true pivot point in your life for true change. We all want change. We all want to be better. But like this is a real moment to add new institutions and landmarks to your life. And I think the weekly business meeting uh, is, a, is a fantastic thing to add to your lives. Uh, easier said than done, as is a lot of this, but very doable. And you guys are motivated and you guys have a lot of motivation, whereas maybe the average person on the street might not. You know, this is about you got to optimize your time because time is currency Time is the, your most scarce resource. Wars are fought over scarcity. Like this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Uh, what what other any other? Let's do like one more time management thing that we can talk about um, within this scope. Does anybody else have any thought, thoughts on any of the time management tools? Could be like the, stru- the study structure. Could be the study manager. Could be um, you know making your your plans. Any, any, uh, David, you have something. Yeah, you know, something that I thought was really helpful is the study manager idea itself gives yeah. a really good way for me to know exactly what I've seen and how many times I've seen it and whether or not I've actually yeah. tested on it or what I've done in the study session, um, just outside of the study, the academic study uh, agenda, because yeah. um, having that external explicit view of, okay, you know, I've done this many self-tests on this and I've done this many, like I've mapped something in this lecture or I've gone through the framework. Um, being able to see that from the perspective of that top-down view, that 
you know, I'm in a satellite. I'm just looking down on the earth, figuring out what's going yeah. on. Super okay. helpful. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think it's essential. I think it's essential because that is the, um, that, that like this, the macro manager to the micro manager. I don't want you guys having to keep that in your minds. You know, I want you to offload that and then you can track it. Cause we tend to like overstudy areas that we're more comfortable with and we avoid the uncomfortable things. Then all of a sudden we get to the test. We've hit the one topic six times and the, the week topic one time and, and that's imbalanced. So the, the study manager is a big piece to this. I know you guys all sort of understand that. Well, very good. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the StatMed podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find more test-taking and studying strategies specifically designed for med students and physicians over at our blog at statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.